and welcome back to The Power of Now, A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment with Gilda and Barbara. We're doing a book study on this book written by Eckhart Tolle, and we hope that you have your copy so that you can follow along. Today we are on Chapter 5, Section 4, The State of Presence, Realizing Pure Consciousness. My name is Barbara Wainwright, and I am here with Gilda Simone. Welcome, Gilda. Thank you. Realizing Pure Consciousness. A student asks, is presence the same as being? When you become conscious of being, what is really happening is that being becomes conscious of itself. When being becomes conscious of itself, that's presence. Since being, consciousness, and life are synonymous, we could say that presence means consciousness becoming conscious of itself or life attaining self-consciousness. But don't get attached to the words and don't make an effort to understand this. There is nothing that you need to understand before you can become present. A student asks, I do understand what you just said, but it seems to imply that being the ultimate transcendental reality is not yet complete, that it is undergoing a process of development. Does God need time for personal growth? And Eckhart says, yes, but only as seen from the limited perspective of the manifested universe. In the Bible, God declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. In the timeless realm, where God dwells, which is also your home, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, are one. And the essence of everything that ever has and ever will be is eternally present in an unmanifested state of oneness and perfection, totally beyond anything the human mind can ever imagine or comprehend. In our world of seemingly separate forms, however, timeless perfection is an unconceivable concept. Here, even consciousness, which is the light emanating from the eternal source, seems to be subject to a process of development. But this is due to our limited perception. It is not so in absolute terms. Nevertheless, let me continue to speak for a moment about the evolution of consciousness in this world. Everything that exists has being has God essence, has some degree of consciousness. Even a stone has rudimentary consciousness. Otherwise, it would not be. And its atoms and molecules would disperse. Everything is alive. The sun, the earth, plants, animals, humans, all are expressions of consciousness in varying degrees. Consciousness manifesting as form. The world arises when consciousness takes on shapes and forms, thought forms and material forms. Look at the millions of life forms on this planet alone, in the sea, on land, in the air, and then each life form is replicated millions of times. To what end? Is someone or something playing a game? A game with form? This is what the ancient seers of India asked themselves. 
We saw the world as we live, the kind of divine game that God is playing. The individual life forms are obviously not very important in this game. In the sea, most life forms don't survive for more than a few minutes after being born. The human form turns to dust pretty quickly, too. And when it is gone, it is as if it has never been. Is that tragic or cruel? Only if you create a separate identity for each form. If you forget that its consciousness is God's essence expressing itself in form. But you don't truly know that until you realize your own God essence as pure consciousness. If a fish is born in your aquarium and you call it John, write out a birth certificate, tell him about his family history, and two minutes later he gets eaten by another fish, that's tragic. But it's only tragic because you projected a separate self where there was none. So let's just talk about that for a second. We projected a separate self where there was none, meaning we are all one. We are all connected. We're all in this together. <laughs> so he says, you got a hold of a fraction of a dynamic process, a molecular dance, and made a separate entity out of it. Consciousness takes on the disguise of forms until they reach such complexity that it completely loses itself in them. In present-day humans, consciousness is completely identified with its disguise. It only knows itself as form, and therefore lives in fear of the annihilation of its physical and psychological form. This is the ego of mind, and this is where considerable dysfunction sets in. It now looks as if something had gone very wrong somewhere along the line of evolution. But even this is part of Lila, the divine game. Finally, the pressure of suffering created by this apparent dysfunction forces consciousness to disidentify from form and awakens it from its dream of form. It regains self-consciousness, but it is at a far deeper level than when it lost it. That's very interesting. So pretty much what we're saying in this section is that we are all one, we're all connected, we're all part of source energy, but because we are all connected, there are no mistakes, everything is unfolding perfectly in the universe. Our egoic mind, however, would like to think that we are separate and complete and whole within ourselves, which is where considerable dysfunction sets in. That's what Eckhart says. Says the pressure of suffering created by this apparent dysfunction of us thinking that our physical body and our egoic mind are all that all that there is in our existence, if you will. Then we get to be in fear that oh my gosh, if something happens with my physical body, I'm gone and no longer exist. So he says, finally, the pressure of suffering created by this apparent dysfunction forces consciousness to disidentify from form and awakens it from its dream of form. So we come and through suffering, and this is, I think they called it the way of the cross before through suffering, we become conscious and aware 
is what they're saying. But not always. Some people choose to opt out, if you will, when they are suffering. They want to end the suffering. And I don't know how many of you have read about Eckhart's story where he wanted to also end his suffering. And that's when he had his awakening and said, wait a minute, if I want to end my suffering, who is I and who is my suffering? (laughs) Are these two things one and the same? No, they're not. It's my consciousness. And then it's my egoic mind and my physical body. And there's two separate things. And one is everlasting, never ending. One is forever. And the other, which is the physical body and the egoic mind, will terminate at some point. Nobody gets out of here alive. That's a fact. So we might get out of here spiritually. The essence of who we are is definitely going to continue. We are part of the Alpha and the Omega. And it's so true, like what Eckhart had said about the suffering is what led me to not want to suffer anymore and read his book. So I, I understand what he means. Yeah, we don't have to suffer. We might set ourselves up to grow for our highest good. In fact, the highest good of all concern. If I grow, then everyone I come into contact with will be taking a step up too. So if you grow and you invest in yourself and you start learning about your spiritual being versus your physical egoic being, then you are expanding your consciousness as well. And anybody that comes into your auric field will recognize that within you and it will lift them as well. So we are one organism here. (laughs) We are the alpha and the omega. And we we're part of that and our contribution to it can be magnificent or not. Yeah. Basically, do you want to live in your victim story or do you want to persevere from your victim story? Right. Persevere and grow and recognize that that was there for your lesson. That was there for you to awaken. So it served its purpose. This process is explained by Jesus in his parable of the lost son, who leaves his father's home, squanders his wealth, becomes destitute, and is then forced by his suffering to return home. When he does, his father loves him more than before. The son's state is the same as it was before, yet not the same. It has an added dimension of depth. The parable describes a journey from unconscious perfection through apparent imperfection and evil to conscious perfection. Can you now see the deeper and wider significance of becoming present as the watcher of your mind? Whenever you watch the mind, you withdraw consciousness from mind forms. And it then becomes what we call the watcher or the witness. Consequently, the watcher, pure consciousness beyond form, becomes stronger. And the mental formations become weaker. When we talk about watching the mind, we are personalizing an event that is truly of cosmic significance. Through you, 
Consciousness is awakening out of its dream of identification with form and withdrawing from form. This foreshadows, but is already a part of, an event that is probably still in the distant future as far as chronological time is concerned. The event is called the end of the world. <laughs> the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> when consciousness frees itself from its identification with physical and mental forms, it becomes what we may call pure or enlightened consciousness or presence. This has already happened in a few individuals, and it seems destined to happen soon on a much larger scale, although there is no absolute guarantee that it will happen. Most humans are still in the grip of the egoic mode of consciousness, identified with their mind and run by their mind. If they do not free themselves from their mind in time, they will be destroyed by it. They will experience increasing confusion, conflict, violence, illness, despair, madness. Egoic mind has become like a sinking ship. If you don't get off, you'll go down with it. The collective egoic mind is the most dangerously insane and destructive entity ever to inhabit this planet. What do you think will happen on this planet? if human consciousness remains unchanged. I think when that happens, it reminds me of the crabs in the pot theory, where if you have a pot of crabs and one tries to get out of the pot, you always see another one trying to grab it down. And it's just kind of like a chain reaction. Like none of the crabs can ever really get out because they're all pulling each other down. That's just kind of what that reminded me of. That's a perfect description. Yeah, because ego is about survival. It's how can I can survive? How it's also about comparison. How can I be better than? Right. So I need to be better. I need to have more. I need to survive. And survival for me might mean that you need to die so I can survive. (laughs) So it's a pretty insane way to think. It's a hard way to live. Definitely a hard way to live. So what do you think will happen on this planet if human consciousness remains unchanged? My answer to that is nothing good. (laughs) (laughs) Already for most humans, the only respite they find from their own minds is to occasionally revert to a level of consciousness below thought. Everyone does that every night during sleep. But this also happens to some extent through sex, alcohol, and other drugs that suppress excessive mind activity. If it weren't for alcohol, tranquilizers, antidepressants, as well as the illegal drugs, which are all consumed in vast quantities, the insanity of the human mind would become even more glaringly obvious than it already is. I believe that If deprived of their drugs, a large part of the population would become a danger to themselves and others. These drugs, of course, simply keep you stuck in dysfunction. Their widespread use only delays the breakdown of the old mind structures and the emergence of higher consciousness. While individual users may get some relief from the daily torture inflicted on them by their minds, They are prevented from generating enough conscious presence to rise above thought and so find true liberation. That's a heavy thought when you think about it. 
all the people that are suffering from addiction, in other words, they're slave to their drug or their medication or whatever it is they feel, maybe, maybe they could function without it, but they feel like they can't function without it. So he says they are prevented from generating enough conscious presence to rise above thought and so find true liberation. In other words, they haven't become the watcher of the thoughts. I love the part in the book where he talks about wait for the next thought to come. What is that thought? And when you begin to do that and you begin to see how your mind works, you can become very aware of the thoughts as they arise. Then you can check the thought out. Is this thought causing separation? Is this thought saying I'm better than? Is this thought saying I need to have that? I think anytime your mind is saying you have to have something, you must do this, you need to do that. That's not coming from a higher consciousness. That's coming from the egoic mind. So he's saying here, while somebody who's using alcohol or drugs or sex or something to basically numb out from their mind, they're trying to get away from the thoughts in their mind. What else would it be? Right? It's the people are being eaten up, if you will, by the thoughts that they are thinking. So stop thinking those thoughts. Start being aware of the thoughts that are coming into your mind so that you can start focusing your attention and becoming more conscious on thoughts that are empowering rather than disempowering. Falling back to a level of consciousness below mind, which is the pre-thinking level of our distant ancestors and of animals and plants, is not an option for us. There is no way back. If the human race is to survive, it will have to go on to the next stage. Consciousness is evolving throughout the universe in billions of forms. So even if we didn't make it, this wouldn't matter on a cosmic scale. No gain in consciousness is ever lost. So it would simply express itself through some other form. But the very fact that I am speaking here and you are listening or reading this is a clear sign that the new consciousness is gaining a foothold on the planet. Thank you for listening. There is nothing personal in this. I am not teaching you. You are consciousness, and you are listening to yourself. There is an Eastern saying, the teacher and the taught together create the teaching. In any case, the words in themselves are not important. They are not the truth. They only point to it. I speak from presence, and as I speak, you may be able to join me in that state. Although every word that I use has a history, of course, and comes from the past, as all language does, the words that I speak to you now are carriers of the high energy frequency of presence, quite apart from the meaning they convey as words. I love that. It's the energy and the frequency of the energy that we bring that can be the catalyst for change for the better. So what he said there is, he says, the high energy frequency of presence will help to bring enlightenment. It's not about the words. It's not about the language. It's about the 
high energy frequency that we bring. Silence is an even more potent carrier of presence. So when you read this or listen to me speak, be aware of the silence between and underneath the words. Be aware of the gaps. To listen to the silence wherever you are is an easy and direct way of becoming present. Even if there is noise, there is always some silence underneath and in between the sounds. Listening to the silence immediately creates stillness inside of you. Only the stillness in you can perceive the silence outside. And what is stillness other than presence? Consciousness freed from thought forms. Here is the living realization of what we have been talking about. That is the end of this section. It's a very powerful section. It is. It really is identifying that we need to become conscious of our thought process, become the watcher, as he said, become the watcher of our thoughts, become the watcher of not only our thoughts, but we can, we can watch other people in the way that they think and help them by being silent, being present for them. I see the importance of us becoming present and becoming the watcher of our mind. And I think particularly here, the mind and the egoic mind are two different things. There's our higher mind and our higher consciousness. And when those thoughts come through, that's for the highest good of all concern. That's what I've noticed the difference. The difference between the egoic mind and the higher mind is the higher mind is an all-encompassing, loving, compassionate, wants the best for everyone in every situation. The egoic mind wants the best for the self in every situation. And it just ends up polluting everything instead. <laughs> right. Because it's very selfish. That's the end of this section. I hope that you've enjoyed it. We sure do appreciate you listening and supporting our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye now. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to show your support, you can contribute by going to wainwrightglobal.com forward slash go forward slash support or give us a call at 800-711-4346. 